Well, hello, Harvest. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm one of your pastors, and I am so excited to open up God's Word with you today. You can grab your Bible and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And as you do that, uh, maybe you had an experience like I did uh, when you first kind of got married or uh, started realizing that, you know what, my family is a little bit different. When I first got married to Anna, I realized very quickly that my life as an only child as I was growing up was very different uh, than hers. She was one of four. And I realized this first when we, uh, when I started dating and I went to visit her family and like maybe we'd have Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. At my family, when we would have Thanksgiving dinner, right afterwards we'd enjoy this great meal and right afterwards we'd go and like go to our own corners and read. We'd be reading our book and then we'd look up and we'd have a conversation based on what we were reading and it was very intellectual, but like we didn't really have any fun. Now, and it sounds bad, mom, if you're listening, we had fun at when we were growing up. But uh, when I went to Anna's house, it was like afterwards, they had this big meal and then they would play games and I would just get so exhausted almost immediately because my family was totally different than her family. And it just started to help me realize, you know what, our childhoods taught us what was normal. Our childhoods help us know what's expected of us. Our childhoods help us know what to believe and we're gonna see God's instruction for childhood right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I know if you're like maybe a young adult or maybe uh, you're single and you don't have kids, maybe you never expect to have kids. You're thinking, oh, this is just to parents. And you're absolutely right that parents will have a lot to apply from this particular passage, but this is not a passage that's just to parents. This is a passage that was to the entire people of Israel. And so as we dive into this, I don't want you to think, hey, this is just a parenting message. This is not. The message for us is this, the generations must know. And it's not just parents who have to teach them. It's the responsibility of every single person in our body at Harvest to teach the next generation what it looks like, what it means to follow Christ personally. And so we're going to dive right in here uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. But before we do that, I just want to open us in a word of prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for your word and its instructions are so clear. And uh, Lord, we uh, just pray that you will help us as we study this passage to understand what it looks like to follow Christ individually. We pray that you will help us to understand what it looks like to teach that to the next generation. And Lord, we pray that you will help us uh, to live this out in obedience as we go about our days, our weeks, our months, and our years. And Lord, we pray that the... Um, faith that we have would flow to the next generation in a powerful way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 6, open up to verse 4. Here's where we're going to start. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So first thing I want you to see right here in this passage is that we must personally respond to who God is. When you see this right here, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, Moses is doing a rallying cry. He's, he's trying to get the people of Israel to recognize that this God, and he uses the personal name here, right? When he says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's using the personal name of God. He's using the name Yahweh. And so what he's trying to point out to us is that uh, this is a confirmation of the people, uh, to the people, that this is a very specific God. 
It's not one of the gods that your friends back in Egypt worship. It's not one of the gods that maybe you uh, passed along in your uh, uh, wandering. This is very specifically the God, the one true God. We know him as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, our creator God, Savior, Yahweh, the great I Am. And what he's saying here is that uh, this is the one true God that we ought to worship. I want to point out that this is the starting point for any discipleship journey. If we're going to be passing along our faith to uh, anyone, whether it's children or adults or somebody that's coming up behind us in terms of maturity, that our faith journey has to be on fire for the Lord before we can pass that along. This is the starting point for any discipleship journey. Recognition of the one true God and rejection of all false idols is the starting point. And Moses is making it so clear by using that personal name of God. You know, we recently had a series in our church uh, going over the four W's, the worship, walk, work, and witness, and how we grow as disciples. And in that, we talked about worship, and that worship is ascribing value to something. When we worship something, we're holding it up and we're saying, this is great. This is my coffee mug, and right now it has coffee in it, and I am ascribing that coffee is better than water. That's a silly example, but uh, when we worship something, we're saying this has great value. This is of supreme value. This is saying it's got the most. Greg Beale said it in his book, uh, We Become What We Worship. He said this, what people revere, they resemble, whether for their ruin or for their restoration. I think that's really true for us. What we revere, we resemble. Stop and think for a second about what our culture reveres. What comes to mind when you think about what are the people, what are the uh, professions, who are the ones that we hold high? We say they have great value. What we're doing is we're worshiping. Athletes, celebrities, CEOs, and businessmen and women. But even now that shifting, the whole idea of this idea of an Instagram influencer is subtle worship. What we're saying is be like me and buy the products that I use. That is an example of worship in our culture. I want to give you real quick five gods of this world that we should be on the lookout, that we should be rejecting in favor of the one true God. The first God of this world that we see everywhere is the God of success. If I'm successful, if I achieve, if I can only accomplish that thing, then I will be okay. When that happens, we are worshiping the God of success. Another God of this world is the God of wealth. If I can just have enough money, if I can just get enough in my bank account, then I will feel secure, then I will be okay. We're worshiping the God of wealth. Another God of this world without question, without hesitation is the God of sex. If I am uh, appeased in my uh, fleshly appetites, then I'm okay. Another God of this world is the God of self. We see it when we talk about uh, my truth. You see it with <laughs> selfies. And you know, uh, some of us would say, well, listen, our culture is so evolved, we would certainly never do anything like the old uh, uh, cultures did when they sacrificed human sacrifices to idols. We would never do that. But what is abortion if it's not human sacrifice at the altar of self? And the final one that we have uh, in our culture, I would say, is the false god of family that it's my family, it's my legacy, we stay together, um, we can 
have this idol of family when we are not worshiping the one and the true God. Disciple the next generation, we have to be clear that we're worshiping the one true God. And it's not just with the words that we say. We can say that all day long, but our actions and our affections will make it clear. Moses is saying and he's calling to the people to personally and corporately respond to the lordship of the one true God. He continues and he says this, uh, and these, uh, excuse me, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, Moses is saying we got to move from knowing who God is to responding to who God is. We have to move from understanding that there is a God to loving this God. And I just want to give you three quick observations. He's using the personal word you here. So he says, you shall love the God. That's you. That's you personally shall love the God, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And it's total and it's complete. He's saying that you should love God with your heart and with your soul and with your might. And then it's active. This is beyond our affections and our feelings. This is uh, complete loyalty and total obedience. So the starting point in and, and discipleship, the starting point for passing your faith on to another is a faith that is strong. It's identifying the proper God, the God of the Bible, and living your whole life in obedience to him. That's our starting point. And if that's not happening in your home, if that's not happening in your life, then we could spend the rest of our time just wrestling through that and it would not be wasted. But before uh, we move on, because Moses is going to give us some instructions, before we move on, I want to give us the opportunity right now to kind of pause and answer this question. I want you to imagine that somebody observed your entire life for a week. Imagine that they were in your head, that they were in your heart, that they thought the thoughts that you thought, that they felt the things that you felt, that they observed the way that you acted. If they evaluated objectively, the things you think about, the fears you have, the feelings you felt, the actions that you uh, acted out, the way you responded to certain circumstances and situations, what would they say you worship? If they were able to see everything about your life, what would they see? So what I want you to ask right now, and you can kind of have a conversation about this if you're uh, listening to this alone, uh, journal this and share it with somebody else. But I want you to ask this, what would that person say is most important to you? If you're watching this with your kids, ask them, what do they think is most important to mom or dad? The answer might surprise you. All right, so your first step in being able to pass your faith along to somebody else is personally responding to who God is. And uh, parents, grandparents, disciplers, I want you to see this. Your influence for Christ flows from your relationship with Christ. It's critical that we understand this. Uh, but it, uh, thankfully, Moses doesn't just stop there. He gives us more instruction that I think is going to be helpful. So dive right back into God's word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, 
and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When he says you shall teach them diligently to your children, or in this it says uh, others versions have said impress this upon your children that word there is literally to like sharpen a knife so this is a chef's knife from my uh, personal uh, kitchen and this is a knife sharpener and when you teach your children when you teach that person who's following you in the faith a lesson what you're doing is you're essentially you're sharpening the knife the language that we would use in our culture is that we're drilling it into their heads that this isn't just something that's like, hey, take it or leave it. If you want to uh, understand it, it's okay. This is something that is very intentional, something that is very intense and something that is sharpening their minds. Moses is saying, teach them what I've taught you and make sure they get it. Paul instructs Timothy the same way in 2 Timothy uh, 2, 2, when he says this, what you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who can teach others also. It's that idea of the chain of learning. What I've learned from someone else, I'm going to pass on to someone else. What I've learned from my parents, what I've learned from my pastors, what I've learned from those people who have gone before me, who have made mistakes, who have understood and studied deeply the word of God, what they've taught to me, now it's my responsibility to pass that on to somebody else. It, does, it can't end with me. It's got to be passed on. And from the passage, we see that the, the things that we're passing on are the, uh, the requirement of obeying God's commands and the idea that we're remembering what God has done. You know, more than ever, this next generation is under siege from messaging from schools that want to normalize ungodly lifestyles, from brands that want lifetime customers, uh, celebrities that want to just continue being celebrities. Uh, they are under siege and bombarded by messages. There's a study that estimated that uh, your children, our children, the children of our church, uh, receive anywhere between 5,000 and 10,000 advertisements every day. That is unbelievable amount of messaging. If you did all the math, that's as many as 65 million advertisements by their 18th birthday. Now, I'm not here to whine about the state of media. I watch as much Hulu and Netflix as anybody. But what I'm saying is this, never before has your message had so much competition. The message is uh, being diluted because there is so much that they are being bombarded by. And this is what I want you to, to hear. We have to be the loudest voice. Parents, disciple makers, be the loudest voice in their lives because they're hearing all these things everywhere. And the saddest thing to me is parents or disciple makers who leave them to figure it out on their own. Moses is saying, we cannot let that happen to our children. We cannot let that happen to the next generation. We have to be the loudest voice. And what's the best way? Moses says it clearly. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit. So you should be talking about God while you're sitting. And you shall talk of them when you walk by the way. So when you're at your house and when you're on a journey. You shall bind them uh, when you lie down and when you rise. So when you're laying down or when you're standing up, 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's actually a, a sort of a cultural thing. They would wear this little box with scripture on it. They would wear it as a headband or as an armband, and uh, eventually it became sort of a uh, just a dead routine or dead tradition. But what Moses is saying is, listen, when you're sitting or when you're lying, when you're in your house or when you're out of your house, all the time, all the places, that's literally nowhere else for you to be, you should be talking about the goodness of God. You should be talking about the precepts, the instructions, the commandments. You should be talking about God's word wherever you go with anyone who is following you in the faith. Now, sometimes we have some objections to that. If you're a parent, if you're a disciple maker and, and you're thinking, man, I just, I don't, I don't, I just, don't, I feel like I just don't know enough. So this is going to be somebody else's responsibility because I don't know enough. Well, rather than shifting that responsibility to somebody else, why don't you see it as your responsibility and start learning? Rather than saying, hey, you know what? I'm not a teacher. I'm going to give this to somebody with the teaching gift. Recognize that uh, the commandment here is to everyone. In fact, in uh, the New Testament, it says you should be teaching by now. And uh, the Great Commission says, go therefore and teach so this is not something that you can get out of quite so easily because you don't feel comfortable. This is something that we're all called to. And then finally, just recognize that uh, some of you just say it's not my job, but it is your job. If you're going to make disciples, it's your job to teach others what the word says. And this is where we want to partner with you. I recognize that it's not easy and that uh, sometimes it's a little more difficult. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get into those rhythms. Specifically for students and kids, uh, we want to help you with this. So that's why we do Harvest Kids. This is why we do Harvest Student Ministry. And, and it's why we do Young Adult Ministry. And uh, so in this season, you can go to our Facebook page. There's lots of resources. We're trying to equip you as parents and disciple makers to make disciples of the next generation. So there's tons of resources. Our team has put together a lot of great stuff so that you can get into this rhythm. And with young adults, I want to encourage you. You're not necessarily the next generation, although I realized uh, just, you know, a couple of months ago, apparently I'm the old guy. I'm getting gray. I've got uh, kids that are getting up towards high school. And when I walk into a room, I'm not one of the youngest guys anymore. Uh, and so uh, I recognize that you're younger, but I just want to encourage you. If you're a young adult in our church, uh, Paul said this to Timothy. He said, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I want you to know that I believe that describes so many of you. You're not future leaders in this church. You are setting an example now. That describes so many of you, and I'm so thankful for all of you. So, to all of you, teach what you've learned. Now, we're going to take a minute, and I want you to kind of push pause on the video in just a second. And I, whether you're, you know, again, with a bunch of people or by yourself, answer this question. What lessons have you learned recently from God's Word? And what are you learning in your followership of Jesus? And then, how can you pass that along to somebody else in the next week? So the first part of passing your faith along to somebody else is 
responding personally to who God is. The second part is teaching them to follow who God is in everyday life. And then now we're going to see uh, this third part. And well, what Moses is advocating for is this idea of life on life discipleship. Every opportunity, every part of your life spent trying to train up this next generation, the people who are following you in the faith. And then he issues this warning. Now remember, uh, that this part of Deuteronomy, they still uh, haven't fully entered the promised land. They haven't still fully uh, gotten everything that God has for them. And so he says this in verse 10. He says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What he's saying is, listen, prosperity, especially prosperity that you didn't work for, will breed complacency. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. All of those extra gods in our world, we should not be going after those. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the faith. That's, this is quite quite a warning. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. That's when they needed water and uh, uh, really did so with a bad attitude. Uh, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord that it may go well with you and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. This is a warning against complacency. This is, uh, they would soon receive all that God had promised. And he's saying, listen, when you get there, don't forget who brought you here. Prosperity often breeds spiritual complacency. Crisis, on the other hand, breeds engagement, a return to the Lord. And uh, we're seeing this again today. What we're seeing is in this crisis, so many of these false gods that we have uh, established, that we have worshipped are crumbling. And my prayer for our church is that this would be a moment where our faith is awakened, that our faith is strengthened, that we turn to the Lord, that we remember who brought us to this place, who brought us into his family, who gave us these good things, that we would remember to love the giver more than we love the gift. See, this is why we believe in events like summer camp. Camp breaks routine. It breaks rhythm. It allows for an intense focus, and it takes us out of those things that are numbing our minds and takes us away from the false gods of our lives and helps us to focus once again on that one true God. Things like summer camp are uh, helpful for breaking through this spiritual complacency. He keeps going uh, here in verse 20 when he says, uh, When your son asks you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded? I, I just love this. I love that Moses is talking about, it's not if, it's when this happens. When your sons realize, hey dad, we're different. 
We follow the one true God. The way we behave is different than those around you. Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, against Pharaoh, and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we carefully, if we are careful to do this, all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. This brings us to the third step, the third way that we can pass our faith along to others, and that is that we would share what God has done for you personally. That you would share what God has done for you personally. I love that he's just presuming these spiritual conversations are commonplace. When they realize we're a little different, they should have questions. See, remember that this, the next generation for these Israelites would not have been in Egypt. They would not have seen God move in that specific way. And so Moses is saying, by the time we get there, don't forget, they won't know. And so you have to teach them. What I see here is this beautiful pattern of how we can have conversations with this next generation about how God has influenced and moved in our lives personally, what he's done for us individually. The first response to this question is a recognition of our condition. When the father in this circumstance says, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Think about the condition that we were in. We were sinners. I was in X. I was in Y. It was only by the grace of God. Because then we see how God responds. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord shows signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. So the first thing that we see is we see our condition. The second thing is we see God's greatness in action. Be sharing not just where you were, but be sharing what God did. How did God do this? How did God help you through that? How did God help you move forward in those areas that you were struggling? And don't forget, it's because of God's goodness and because it's of God's greatness. So amplify the character of God even as you explain how he acted. And then finally, it says this, and the Lord commanded us to do these statutes. Now we're seeing our response. So I was in this situation. I was hurting and God did something great because that's who he is. And so now here's how we have to respond because of it. And then finally, we see in verse 25, the blessing of it all, and it will be for righteousness for us if we are careful to do all the commandments uh, before the Lord our God as he has commanded us now. Uh, by the grace of God, uh, the righteousness that we have comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but uh, the blessing of that is immense. And so these are the things, these are the conversations that we have to be sharing with our uh, kids, with our students, with the next generation of people that are following us. Share what God has done for you personally. See, I think sometimes we try to skip to, uh, well, this is just who God is. And this is what God does. And we're trying to share these stories or these, uh, uh, these ideas, but they're separated from any kind of context. God is love. 
That's important to know. But how have you experienced God's love? Now we are sharing our faith truly with the next generation. It's so important that we put these character qualities of God, these stories, these ideas, these truths that we're learning from Scripture, that we put them into context as we teach them. Uh, this is a, a puzzle uh, that my kids did. Thankfully, I didn't have to help them with it. I, it would have driven me nuts. But uh, I went on a retreat with our students, and I came back, and my kids had put together this whole puzzle. And it was really uh, kind of cool. And it got me thinking, so um, really, I can take all the time I want to describe this piece. You know what? It looks like there's some uh, white dots and some uh, brown dots, the uh, corners. It's got a lot of pink to it. I can describe this. But outside of the full picture, outside of the puzzle, this is just a, a piece. It's not useful. We have to uh, be able to connect this to the greater context of what the Lord is doing. So if you want to think about it like this, each lesson that you teach your kids, each lesson that you teach, each idea that you pass on, each truth that you share is like this puzzle piece. But when they observe your life, what they're getting is they're getting the whole picture. They're getting the box top. They're getting how all of these things fit together and how they ought to be lived out as a father, as a mother, as a uh, teacher, as a principal, as a widow, as a single person, as a college student, whatever phase of life you're in, the people that you're sharing your faith with need to see how you're living out these principles in context. And you can share with them what God has done and what God is doing because the next generation has to know. Sadly, the people of Israel didn't follow this. And uh, if you read on in the book of Joshua and Judges, it didn't go well for them. And my prayer for us and for our church is that we would heed these warnings. Uh, one of the most difficult passages for me in all of Scripture is uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, when Paul says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is hard to think about the fact that I uh, have to be living out my faith in such a way that people will follow it and model it. That is an incredibly high standard, but it uh, urges me onward to follow Christ more deeply. And my prayer for our church is that our whole church body would see this as their responsibility to pass along faith to the next generation, to pass along faith to those who are coming up behind them, whether in maturity or in age, and to see uh, their responsibility, to see your responsibility as passing along faith to the next generation because the generations have to know and it's our responsibility to teach it to them. So let's finish just with a, a word of prayer that God would allow this to seep into every level of our church body and that we would see the faith of those who are coming up behind us grow because of our obedience to God's word. God, I pray uh, that we would um, humbly obey these commands. Lord, we don't want to stand up and say, I've got it all figured out, or uh, I'm, I'm so far ahead of everyone, you should learn from me. God, that's not what we're after. That's not what we're all about. But we are about lifting high the name of Jesus Christ, of, about making disciples who bring you glory and making disciples who make disciples. And so, Lord, I pray that our church body, as they listen to this, as they open up your word, would see it as their responsibility to pass faith along to the next generation. And Lord, I pray that that next generation would be hungry and willing to receive it. 
Lord, I pray that our faith would grow as we share it with others. Uh, Lord, I'm just so thankful for who you are, for what you've done. We rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.